0: Hello, and welcome to the Complex Care Journal Club podcast. My name is Emily Goodwin. I'm a pediatrician in complex care at the Beacon Program at Children's Mercy Kansas City and your host for this episode. In this podcast series, we seek to discuss emerging evidence in the care of children with medical complexity and its implications for practice. I am delighted to have Dr. Julie Hauer from Boston Children's Hospital and Jennifer Seidman from Courageous Parents Network joining me today. They are the lead authors of a tool called NeuroJourney, which was published online in November. It can be found both on the Courageous Parents Network website or at neurojourney.org. NeuroJourney is a comprehensive anticipatory guidance resource for families and clinicians caring for children with severe neurologic impairment, or SNI. Julie and Jennifer, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us, Emily. Yes, delighted to be here. Thank you. To start, I wonder if you could tell our listeners a little bit about Courageous Parent Network. Sure, Emily. So Courageous Parents Network is a
1: nonprofit organization. We were founded approximately 10 years ago. Um, We're excited to celebrate our 10th anniversary. And what we do is we provide a curated library of digital resources and programming to help caregivers and others caring for children with serious medical conditions, such as the teachers, the clinicians and really navigate the illness journey with support and a sense of community. At the center of what we do is a video library where we interview both parents and providers about the experiences they have caring for their children. We do all of this with a keen eye towards what we call palliative-aware practices, so really infusing the value and benefit of palliative care into all of the illness journey that these families are facing. And when we do that, we develop guides on subjects like how to consider an intervention or maintain your marriage or parent your well children. We also have blog posts written primarily by parents, but we invite clinicians to participate in those blogs. And monthly, we do a series of educational webinars that we call In the Room, where we invite parents and clinicians to attend and discuss a topic. And again, that ranges from everything like, what does a good day look like when your child has serious illness, to self-care to considering an intervention like spinal fusion or a feeding tube, or um, when your home becomes medicalized because you've acquired a lot of equipment. So it's a broad range of things that we do, but all with the goal of orienting and empowering parents for what lies ahead.
0: Perfect. Thank you. It's such a great resource. Can you tell us about how you developed NeuroJourney and how evidence informed your approach?
1: Back in 2021, we conducted some research from our users, so the parents and the providers who are part of our network. And what that research revealed to us was that families of children with complex conditions are in a repeating cycle, which we have labeled Orient, Navigate, and Move Forward, sort of a three-point cycle. At CPN, what we were trying to figure out was what are those inflection points or things that occur in the family experience that kick them back into a need to orient and then re-navigate before they can move forward again. With the goal of sort of revamping our website to reflect that information. Simultaneously, we were approached by a pediatric palliative care physician at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. And she had been working with the DMD community to develop what she called the journey map alongside an organization called the Live Well Collaborative. And in our discussion, we loved the journey map that she was developing for DMD. And we loved that it pinpointed sort of those inflection points that we had been talking about at CPN. She asked, could we develop one for severe neurological impairment, which was the majority of the the children that she was seeing in her practice? And it also happens to be, Emily, that that's my background. I had a son with an MPS disorder, and so I had lived that experience, and I understood uniquely sort of what was missing with regards to anticipatory guidance for families like my own. So we set off on this path to explore, could we set up a tool for families that would provide anticipatory guidance
2: I'm going to expand on one other aspect about evidence, and it fits with what Jennifer described in terms of what is learned from families and literature that has focused on the family experience. Two key parts for me that stand out are that families prefer earlier discussions and they prefer discussions occurring at times of stability. And so that was one aspect that was so important with this process or with the content that was developed or fits with this idea of a full arc um, so that it allows parents to reflect on things at times where it isn't urgent or where emotions are really intense. For me that was just so remarkable how what we were pursuing was exactly getting at what we know from the literature and we know that physicians themselves understandably feel worried about introducing some concepts too early or that it will be upsetting for families. So understandably, we have this conflict point between the two that journey map is the tool now to really try to both help reassure a clinician with information and for a parent to reflect on that at times that makes sense for them. So... I really appreciate the question about evidence. I felt like the journey map is actually getting at key parts of evidence within certainly pediatric palliative care literature.
1: I also want to mention that alongside of it, some of our research, there was a concern by many clinicians that families did not really have prognostic awareness. Where were they in their illness journey with their child? And that clinicians were feeling like that might inhibit their ability to best serve these families. Ironically, I think what we hear from families is that they feel like physicians also don't have an awareness of what is going on with their very complicated child, particularly with diseases that are SNI. And so we wanted to solve this problem. And and this is when we brought in Dr. Julie Hauer. We recognized that we needed significant medical input. And she, of course, is renowned in the field and has so much experience with SNIs and so we brought her in as our primary author and the process from there was we put together a team of parents and providers to identify what the tool should include so what topics medically and psychosocially the primary premise of the site is based on a concept that Blythe lord the founder of cpn and her husband created during their daughter cameron's life that every life has a full and complete arc. It may be that that arc is only two years long or it could be 22 years long, or it could be 98 years long, but it can be full and
0: complete. I'm curious if you can elaborate on any opportunities and challenges you identified while developing NeuroJourney. What was
2: clear, it was a goal at the onset that it was going to be about content content is broken into medical and psychosocial, the medical content tends to exist in the realm of facts. What was to us the most important is to ensure that we were representing the emotional experience of those facts. And that became, I think Jennifer and and Blythe probably identified this early on that embedded with all of the medical content, there would be a palliative voice. And that was really a lovely way to separate out the two that are interconnected. We certainly knew that trying to think in terms of different phases in a child's life in a child with SNI is complicated given that there are so many conditions that result in impairment of the central nervous system. So you can't use age. When things present, and how fast they progress can look quite different. But obviously these arc points aren't about age. They're about what might be part of kind of the early phase of a child's condition, stability phase, what it might look like if there's a decline phase as examples. So it was challenging, but I have to say that in the team effort, it came out brilliantly in terms of being able to anticipate that feature in my child might be
1: informing me. Emily, as Juliet pointed out, obviously since the range of SNIs is so great, one of the challenges we faced was the tool can't address every possible thing that might happen specifically to a child within their personal experience or their disease experience. We tried to be a little broader. And so that was a challenge. Also, as Julie pointed out, because you can't align the phases to time or age, was sort of assigning them to the phases that they're in. And those there are four phases, and they are adapting to diagnosis, building strengths, adjusting to changes, and navigating decline. And so it was hard to get all of those phases in there or assign the medical topics to those phases Part of the thing that helped us to accomplish the goal of how they fit so perfectly into the phases was we developed something called our companion text, which is illustrated in the tool by a heart. So it's wherever you see content preceded by a little heart icon. And this companion text really presents the palliative perspective and the family perspective of the lived experience. It was my experience with my son who experienced constipation as a result of his neurological impairment, that I was going to a nutritionist and she was prescribing foods like prunes and things that would alleviate it um, through his digestive tract. And of course, my GI doctor was also addressing it by prescribing things like Marilax. But what was not happening in my world was somebody talking to me about how my son had become so neurologically impaired that really the signal to have a BM wasn't getting to where it had to be. And when you're living that experience, it's very complicated because your child is in distress, you're uncomfortable. And then in my particular case, I had an adult-sized child that was wearing a diaper. So this companion text that will appear next to the constipation section will acknowledge the realities of what that means. So in this instance, it's acknowledging that it's difficult to change an adult-sized child's diaper out in public and then offering the parent some freedom. It's okay to give your child a suppository so that you can take your other children to the mall if that makes it so that you're not anxiety-ridden about this experience that you might have to have out in public. And so what it does is it sort of validates the parent's feelings and it gives them the opportunity to understand the concept of constipation and how it's related to the brain a little bit better. And then also, to be truthful as the parent, it makes the provider aware of these are the complications that a family may actually be thinking about when they're in that appointment asking you about constipation in their child. And so what we hope is, even as it was hard to put all of the medical topics specifically into one of those four phases, that the companion text sort of brings that along. I also wanna say about the tool is that every chapter in the medical sections of the tool always relates how that topic, so that specific GI or endocrine or pulmonary, how it relates back to the brain. And there's always in the introduction paragraph of each section, how that relates so that parents become aware of this. And I think that's validating too, because it's seeing the whole of the child that's in front of them that they see anyway. It's just giving them the language to understand it better.
2: Yeah. For me, what you're pointing out, Jennifer, is that naming each component medical content means we can name medical problems. We also recognize that localizing back to the altered nervous system Helps validate for a parent why a problem can be modified, why it can be improved, but why it can't be fixed like we traditionally think of medical problems being managed. You know, even the term treatment, I think, can give that impression that it's a problem to treat and eliminate. So there is kind of a balance in the content of acknowledging approaches to management of each type of problem, then it becomes a reflection point back to the providers involved with the child's care so that it's not dependent on somebody to necessarily think to mention that, but a parent who's using the tool. It can be kind of an aha moment of reflection. And then again, seeking the balance, what more can be done to improve it Um, One other part that kind of comes to my mind about content for parents is how on the clinician side, we're naturally wanting to avoid decline. We're naturally wanting to fix problems. We think in terms of kind of length of life. What we know is that parents, when it really gets down to it, it's how is my child living And so I just wanted to highlight that as another aspect that's just, again, embedded throughout that. It empowers parents to come back to naturally, what does it mean for me to reflect on how my child's living? What does it mean for my child to have a problem that can't be cured, but can be modified?
0: I love that each of you have pointed out that each child has a full and complete life arc and that this tool, which is quite unique compared to many others, is very iterative. It's not age-based or chronological, which as a pediatrician, right, we have a lot of milestone-based markers where we're supposed to give certain guidance. And children with disabilities or neurologic impairment or certain medical conditions may not follow that trajectory. There's certain physiologic events that happen at certain ages, right, like puberty. But the resources that have been out there previously just left a gap And this really seems to fill a gap.
2: One other aspect is also a tool that further enhances the relationship between primary providers and the family so that it kind of gets at that aspect of providers wanting to protect parents to some degree, but in that iterative way, starting to highlight what might be a worry and then a tool that allows a parent to reflect on their timeline We know from evidence and from literature that parents exist in different ways of preparing. Some want to be prepared. Some might describe it more, live in the moment and celebrate success. Living in the moment doesn't mean there aren't opportunities to highlight something and then put it aside. And then again, a tool that on a parent's timeline can be that they can go back to when it seems right for them. And then a clinician being able to have permission that it's okay to share a worry, even if that is not a point in a parent's time in their child's trajectory, where they wish to reflect on that more, but it provides seed planting. It's again, coming back to that, addressing needs that are highlighted in literature, how that accomplishes it. And I think this is important given that I know complex care providers are experts in all of this, and yet are still learning how to navigate when there's that big elephant of uncertainty in the room. We all know it's not one conversation. We know that families who have continuity and consistency and reflection have the greatest ability to navigate and have less decisional regret later in bereavement. And so I really view it as It empowers those primary palliative care skills that we know complex care physicians are seeking to develop while also working alongside specialists in pediatric palliative care and their interdisciplinary teams.
1: I'd like to just return a little bit to what Julie said and then sort of the collaborative relationship that it fosters between parents and their clinicians. And I think that that's how the intent that we went into this with it, that not only would the parents and families be learners through the tool, but that the providers that were helping these families were also learners through this tool. And we've heard that already in just a couple of short months that the tool has been out there, that clinicians are actually using it for self-education or educating their residents that they're training. Also, we created opportunities within the tool for those shared experiences. So actually on every page, there is a share button. And so you can use that button to share specifically the content on that page. So how does this help, right? We've had clinicians already report to us that in their follow-up report that they give out to their families, they've linked specifically to a page. Oh, I heard a family that's concerned about constipation in their child. And they've linked only to that page. And maybe that's because they realize the family's not ready for the full tool, but they're just ready for that individual support. Equally, we've had a family come to us and said, after exploring Neurojourney, they decided that they had so much more information that they needed to get their team back together and have another team meeting. And in advance of that, the mom shared specific pages off the tool where she said, you've never brought this up with me. Is it time for us to discuss this now? Or where is my child in this process, medically, of what I've just read? And so she used it to create a shared experience. And this is really what we had in mind when we started developing the tool. And as you said, all of that language was sort of vetted and picked over and thought about so that we could create maximum amount of opportunities for that learning on both
0: sides. I really love what you said, that every caregiver is going to process things differently or need information at different times. I think that's so important to give both families and clinicians a tool to use to have these conversations and tailor it to their unique child. So, I really love this tool, and it's very Uh, Empowering to even hear about the process. Are there any important next steps from your work?
1: One of the things that we discussed a lot during the development of this tool obviously, these are medical, you know, the medical section of the tool is complicated topics and issues. And at some point, we couldn't actually achieve that reading level that would have been ideal within the tool. The issues at hand are just too complex. And so, The way that we decided to address that is by offering the user an opportunity to listen to the content. And right now we have that listening available in English. I would imagine by probably two to three months from now, it will be available in Spanish. And we anticipate that by the end of 2024, it will be also available in French. And we will for sure have an audio file of all the content in those languages and then Most likely, the ability to download a PDF of a page or a chapter or a section within those languages themselves, as also for a reader who might want to read. And also, I I just want to add that the tool is not static. So you'll see that, for example, we have some coming chapters on optics and cardiology. It is an evolving, living, being thing. We're adding and changing all of the time. We also, of course, link to resources on Courageous Parents Network because we have a lot of resources for families to hear about intervention points like feeding tubes and spinal fusion surgery and tracheostomy. So as we're exploring those medically, we're linking out to hearing families talk about how they made those complex decisions. But equally, we have some outside resources listed on the website. And again, those have been very well vetted by the people that have been helping us with this tool to know that we can have trust and confidence in them so that families can get more information and, and more guidance on where they're going. So I just wanted to say that it's not a final product. It's an evolution. And I want to say to the readers, if you get on and you're exploring and you have feedback, there's an opportunity to offer us that. Um, And also, if you're a clinician listening today, I encourage you to not only join Courageous Parents Network, but if you do that, you will automatically be joined to NeuroJourney. And within that, it gives you some tools that you can utilize that are just for you, like how to introduce the tool. There's a caregiver worksheet to help families think about questions they might have as they explore the tool. So there's a lot of opportunities for both self-education and how to use this tool with the families that you're working with.
0: I love that this is a dynamic, evolving tool. This work is co-created by parents and clinicians alike and is a tool that folks can learn together and also empower and teach other people. Is there any other messages you have for patients and families that are listening?
1: One of the things that shines brightly, uh, particularly at NeuroJourney, is something that I tell families all the time and and have really, really appreciated working with Julie because I know it's helped me um, develop my own. But I say to families, you can develop your own internal palliative voice. You need the equipment to do it. You need to understand language like baseline and goals of care and things that clinicians talk about. But you have the capacity to have an internal palliative voice and it can guide you and that's part of what we try to do at cpn is empower parents to feel the authority to do this but when you have a great relationship with a clinician or a provider that's what i know from my own personal experiences that's what helps the parent hone it the best i mean i know even in working with this tool with julie over the last three years even as i am a bereaved mom my internal muscle for sort of thinking in a palliative aware way grew immensely over the last year. And also a lot of what I experienced with my son and didn't know it was validated through this work. I can think in, in retrospect about, well, I don't really have decisional regret around that because actually now that I know this information, that I was internally feeling it, I just didn't have the words to know how to express it working through this tool and working with Julie in particular sort of built all of that for me. So I would say to families, like we've had families say, I just want to go in and read the companion text. Fine. Just read the companion text, build that muscle until you're ready for the rest of it.
2: And I'll speak from the clinician standpoint. The first thing is Jennifer knows this, that uh, not surprisingly, The joy in working on it was the joy in working with Jennifer. We did not know each other before this. We both continue to learn from each other and and each other meaning both as individuals, but also the space we exist within, you know, being a clinician, a parent. I know that this is an expert area of complex care is relational aspects with families. I also know that in medical complexity in in SNI specifically is there are so many tasks for clinicians to attend to and time is always a factor. And understandably, and clinicians in complex care are just amazing in terms of the relational, emotional um, kind of engagement and the commitment. And I imagine there still exists the challenge of how to build that into my busy practice and how does one carve out time for that so that it's not a tack on, it's how do we intentionally create where this is a normative part and when does that occur? Obviously, it's both individualized, but there's a system level. So uh, for the listeners, I believe that this tool has an opportunity to think from a quality improvement um, aspect. And there are ways not solving everything, but starting with a basic level of a team looking at, well, how do we do that? How do we make those decisions? And then asking the question in complex care, how do we address anticipatory guidance when there's not an easy trajectory
1: We have been hosting office hours to help clinicians learn about the tool and how to engage with the tool. And we're looking to hear, as Julie said, how can we learn from what the needs are within the clinician community to make the tool meet those needs? And we at CPN engage in partnerships around research a lot as an opportunity to bring the lived family perspective to research, and so we want to engage all the time with people who are interested in exploring this a little bit more with us.
0: Thanks so much for your time, Julie and Jennifer, and thank you to you and your team for advancing the field of complex care.
1: Thank you, Emily, for having us here today. It was great to be able to speak with you.
0: Yeah,
2: this was wonderful and
1: much appreciated.
0: Thank you, and thanks for listening to the Complex Care Journal Club podcast. We aim to highlight research that has the potential to be practice-changing, that values patient and family engagement, is relevant across disciplines and diagnosis, and uses high-quality or novel research methods. We invite you to join the conversation by suggesting an article you would like to see discussed in this podcast using the form provided on the Open Pediatrics YouTube channel. Thank you again for joining us.